Welcome to Not Just a Sports Report. Welcome to Not Just a Sports Report. Today, I am going to be jumping into the UFC 276 preview and predictions. It is an absolutely stacked card taking place at the T-Mobile Arena in Las Vegas. And look, a bit of an Aussie and Kiwi flavor, especially when you look at the main events. So this is definitely going to be a really fun card to break down. If you haven't heard one of my preview and prediction podcasts for a while, uh, well, I'll basically explain it because this is the return. It has been... Uh, a little while just while I was moving house. So I'm going to jump through, preview all the fights, starting in the early prelims and going through all the way to the two championship main events. I'll preview the fights and give my predictions as well at the end. I've had pretty decent luck as well as far as the uh, pay-per-view predictions. Sometimes the fight night ones uh, are on and off. So I'm trying to nail it down and get it to the absolute best possible standard. So hoping to get that uh, off to a winning start, I guess at UFC 276. So hoping to come up with a lot of winning picks here. As I said, taking place in Las Vegas. And I'm also going to split this podcast into two. So I'll go through the preliminary card in this one and I'll do a separate one for the main card just so that it doesn't go too long as my cat goes fucking wild in the background. What are you doing, mate? Um, Now, the main event for this one, Israel Adesanya, undefeated as a middleweight, taking on Jared Cannonier for the middleweight championship. And look, I'll focus more on those fights in the actual main card podcast, but that is a huge main event. Then you have the featherweight co-main event for the championship, Alexander Volkanovsky up against Max Holloway, who he's defeated twice before, but some contentious results as well. A lot of fans believe Max Holloway can get it done here, but the Australian Alexander Volkanovsky has every right to be up there with Jose Aldo as the featherweight goat. So look, that is going to be a huge title fight. Then in the middleweight division as well, I cannot wait for this one. Sean Strickland, who's been on an absolute tear toward a title push, and Alex Pereira, the only man who's knocked out Israel Adesanya. And look, this is going to be big. This is going to be really big. Is Alex Pereira up to this level yet? We're going to have to wait and see. But Sean Strickland, well, definitely he was getting under the champion's skin at the press conference. Then you have some welterweight action with Robbie Loy- uh, Lawyer. No, Uh, Robbie Lawler and Brian Barbarena, two veterans going at it. And opening the main card, you've got Sean O'Malley, Sugar Sean, with the biggest test of his career to date, up against Pedro Munoz. So a huge main card. Also got a lot of action on this prelims card as well. Uh, Seven fights on the preliminary card. So that is what I'm going to focus on today. And why don't we start with our opener in the women's bantamweight division as the Australian product, Jesse Jess, the heartbreak kid, Jessica Rose Clark, takes on Julia Stolirenko. Now, this fight may not have kind of the fanfare, pretty much every other fight on the card, but I am still very excited for this one. You have Queensland Australia's own Jessica Rose Clark, going up against the Lithuanian submission, can't even fucking speak English, not even five minutes in, Lithuanian submission specialist, Julia Stolyarenko. 
Now, looking at some of their journeys, or both of their journeys rather, Jessica Rose Clark, she has a record of 11, 7, and 1 no contest. She entered the UFC in 2017 with a record of 7, 4, and 1 no contest. And she had two wins to start, so Jessie Jess looked really good coming into the UFC. Then she had two losses, which really slowed her momentum. And then back-to-back wins followed, which got Jessie Jess right back in the picture and in the conversation when it came to the quality female fighters within the UFC promotion. In September 2020, well, that was a really big point for Jessie Rose Clark in the back-to-back wins. She had a round three TKO victory over Sarah Alpar, whose record stands at nine and six. And Jess was able to edge out the finish. She really let her hands go. And yeah, look, she wasn't going to leave it to decision. So it looked at some point like maybe it would go to decision. But then once Jessie Jess let her hands go, she showed just exactly how dangerous she can be. And that is very dangerous. So that was the best win of Jessie Rose Clark's career. And Alpa was absolutely bloodied. It was a vicious ground and pound TKO in the final minute. And Jessica Rose Clark... She didn't leave it to the judges, so I was highly impressed with that performance. Then she backed it up with an equally as impressive showing, a unanimous decision win over Jocelyn Edwards, whose record stands at 11-4. and And Jessica Rose Clark just smothered Edwards for 15 minutes. She had over 10 minutes of control time, and she just proved to be far too strong for Jocelyn Edwards. So all of a sudden, what is my cat doing? Gee whiz. Uh, Jessica Rose Clark just absolutely got things going. Jocelyn Edwards is no slouch as well. People were starting to get excited about what Rose Clark could do. And that was going back to her debut as well. She looked impressive in her opening stages of the career that she's had. But then since then, uh, it's been a rocky road, especially with injury and the like. Mental health plays a part as well. It's an unforgiving sport, no doubt. So those two wins were really big for Jessica Rose Clark as she headed into her clash in February 2022 with Stephanie Egger. So earlier this year, massive chance for Jessica Rose Clark to get it done. I took her to win it by decision, uh, but she lost in round one by submission. Made a couple of key mistakes. Stephanie Egger was able to get her down to the ground and the rest was history. So Stephanie Egger proved to be a level ahead of Jessica Rose Clark at that stage. And Rose Clark, in her own words, making a couple of mistakes that hopefully she's fixed up going into this one. So the round one submission loss was definitely devastating. Uh, I was disappointed to see Jessie go down that way, but she's, she's back now. So she's definitely going to be looking to get back in the winner's column. And she has been seeking out a pay-per-view performance for a long time now. So this will be her first one. She is hugely pumped, especially because she's going to be back in front of a crowd. So I'm expecting the best possible version of Jessica Rose Clark this weekend. And Jess's UFC record stands at four and three. So as I said, a bit of a mixed run, but she can get herself right back in the conversation once again as a quality women's bantamweight with a win up against Stolia Renko. Five of seven have been decisions as well in terms of Jessica Rose Clark's UFC outings. So five of seven, that includes wins and losses, have gone to decisions. So leads me to believe we're going to see this one go the distance. And against Egger, Jessica Rose Clark, she had the control early, but Stephanie Egger definitely just proved too good, capitalized on the mistakes. And it remains to be seen whether Julia Stoliarenko can do the same and capitalize on any slip-ups from Rose Clark. 
given that Stoliarenko seems to have struggled adapting to the life under the bright lights and in the biggest, gee whiz, biggest promotion in MMA. So Stoliarenko still yet to show exactly, I guess, the promise that the matchmakers saw when they brought her in. She took a short notice fight uh, and they've since backed her in to get a job done. But Stoliarenko, yeah, she hasn't really shown what she's able to do. Apologies as well, my cat playing with some kind of toy. I'm going to have to ask him to go into the other room. He is messing with the integrity of the audio. But you know what, Teddy? Uh, that is okay. So let's get back to this fight. Jessica Rose Clark and Julia Stoliarenko. Stoliarenko has a professional record standing at nine wins, six losses, and two draws. So interesting that there are two draws in there. And then having a bit of a deep dive into Stolia, uh, Stoliarenko, my apologies, into her overall record. She has 50% of her losses coming by way of decision. Uh, so once again, feeding into the theory that this one very well may be going the distance. Stoliarenko's six losses, including two knockout losses, one submission and three decisions. As for the key stat, Eight of nine wins for Julia Stoliarenko by submission. She is a specialist in that department and she's going to be able to lock it up and get the win via submission if Rose Clark makes even one mistake. We saw that against Egger, that Rose Clark could leave herself vulnerable. I know she's been working very, very hard on her grappling in this camp. Oh, my cat's made his way. I had to move the toy and he, he's, he's come back. He's found it. All right, I am now in control of the bells so let's hope that we see see some improvement on that front uh but yeah can you blame a cat for playing with his toy i don't think so back to Stoliarenko and what i was saying oh he's fucking got the toy again all right he's going in the other room it's official we're going to go through with no more interruptions my apologies uh just leaving it into yeah this is raw this is a raw unconventional take so these are some of the things that happened, but he's going in the room. So now it is time to get into this fight with no bells. Yes, that's right, Teddy, no bells. Okay, back to what I was saying. This point was a key stat, so it does need to be emphasized. Eight of nine wins by submission for Stoliarenko. So again, if Jessica Rose Clark makes a slip up, Stoliarenko has shown in her run outside of the UFC that she is able to wrap up and clinch a submission victory. That is her specialty. That I'm sure is the way she'll be looking at a path to victory. The decisions haven't gone her way. She's been really, really outclassed so far in her UFC run. So I think Stoliarenko is really gonna wanna make a statement. She can definitely wrap up a submission win too. So look out for that. Stoliarenko with eight of nine pro wins via submission. And look, Jessica is coming off the first submission loss of her career up against Stephanie Egger. There is no doubt she's gonna try and patch up some of those holes in her game to avoid being submitted here. And I think ultimately Jessica Rose Clark, she's gonna have the skills, she's gonna have the experience and the class to be able to deal with what Stoliarenko presents in terms of her submission threats. Now jumping on to Jessica Rose Clark and looking at some of her methods and just her career as a whole, six of seven losses by decision. So she's very hard to stop. As I said, that one submission loss in her last outing. But other than that, all her other losses have come via decision, which Stoliarenko hasn't shown that she can ground out a 15 minute performance. 
As for Jessica Rose Clark's wins, six of 11 wins by decision. Again, a lot of signs pointing that this one may be going the distance. Although, like, it's hard to tell because both women are gonna be wanting to make a statement. So in that sense, they'll be looking for the stoppage, but a lot of signs pointing to the, this one going the distance. In terms of Jessica Rose Clark's finish wins, she has three knockouts and two submissions accompanying her six decision victories. So overall, both women uh, with different skill sets, Jessica Rose Clark, I think will be backing herself to have the better of all three rounds. If this does go to the decision, then I think Jessica Rose Clark can get it done. Um, but if there's a likely stoppage, it may very well be Stoliarenko to get the submission win. So the finish factor is low, but it is definitely still a chance. And as far as the bounce back factor, only one of these ladies can win. And the loser is going to be in a little bit of strife, especially in Stoliarenko's case. But this one is a really crucial one and pivotal for the trajectory of both women's careers going forward inside the promotion. Stylistically, I think whoever can get the grappling ascendancy is gonna do a real good job of getting it done over the three rounds. Obviously, it's a bigger octagon, so that promotes striking exchanges. In that case, I think it'll benefit Jessica Rose Clark. And yeah, I think she's the better striker, although the better grappler, I would say, could very well be Stoliarenko, although she has not shown that at all throughout her UFC showings so far. In my opinion, Stoliarenko is a danger matchup for Jessica Rose Clark, despite what many people believe, but I think Jesse Jess should go well. There is the Bajillion uh, black belt? No, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, bit of a tongue twister, although usually I get that one right. Uh, she's a BJJ black belt is Stoliarenko, whereas um, Jessica Rose Clark is only a brown, uh, fucking purple belt, I think. One of those two, sorry, I hadn't written it down. I thought I'd written that down, but there is a discrepancy in terms of the Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu belts and Stoliarenko ranked higher. So I'm wondering, can Jessie Jess avoid being submitted? Well, all her work in this camp is gonna be trying to avoid getting in the same situation that she did last time. And my prediction, look, I think Jessica Rose Clark, she's gonna have that edge and experience to get it done. I am taking the Australian to kick off the card in style Jessica Rose Clark by decision. I think it's going to be pretty clear cut in the end. I think she can get the better of most of the exchanges. So in what should be a great contest, I am taking Jessica Rose Clark by decision. You've got the heartbreak kid factor. She'll be coming out to Sexy Boy, the Shawn Michaels WWE entrance song. So that is one way to make an entrance, no doubt. She teed that up on Ariel Hawani's MMA Hour, and I'm excited to see how it goes down. Not to mention that she is an Aussie, so I'll be taking Jessica Rose Clark over Julia Stoliarenko by unanimous decision. Moving on up the card now, and this on a fight night or on many other cards would be significantly higher. I mean, this fight is much more exciting than the second fight of the night like line or spotlight deserves I, I really think this is a big one cannot wait for this one in the middleweight division we have brad tavares up against Drakus duplessis this is the first of four contests at 185 pounds 
with all four results having a major impact on the landscape of the middleweight division going forward. It's a hell of a way to get things started at 185, and we've got Brad Tavares, who is a grizzled veteran, still rising through the ranks and keeping his spot in that top 15, up against Dracus Duplessis, who seems absolutely destined to crack the rankings, and this proves as his most vital opportunity to do so. So it's going to be a great way to get things started in the middleweight division. On one side, you have Brad Tavares, who enters Vegas on a two-fight winning run with wins in six of his past eight fights. He's strung together consistent form. He's got one of the best corners in the world working with him as well. And Brad Tavares really starting to put together the right pieces to maybe, just maybe, work his way back to a middleweight relevancy when it comes to a title shot. So he's faced Adesanya before. We don't know whether Izzy's going to leave as the champion after this, but Brad Tavares knows with a win here, he should move back into the top 10, in my opinion. And we're going to see a lot of movement within the rankings. So this is a vital opportunity for Brad Tavares. He is the perfect opponent to test the South African standout in Duplessis, who is one hell of a prospect. And it's a role that Tavares is familiar with, given that he's faced rising stars on the way to superstardom before. I'm thinking Edmund Shabazian, I'm thinking Israel Adesanya, and Robert Whittaker. So it's a position that Brad Tavares knows pretty well. And this time it's Drakus Duplessis, who is the outstanding prospect, looking like he could kick on to really big honors. So this is going to be a great fight, a great test for Duplessis, who is two from two so far in the UFC. Now, we saw the South African debut in the UFC, and he had some octagon jitters. He was going for his signature leg kicks, which he loves to go for in all of his fights. And it just he was a bit slow out of the gates, looked a little bit off, and then all of a sudden just came into his own, got the knockout win over Marcus Perez, and it was one hell of a knockout. We saw the exact display of just how powerful Duplessis is, and he has a lot of power in those hands. So Duplessis getting a huge knockout win over Marcus Perez to stamp his authority and his name within the middleweight ranks. Duplessis followed that up with an equally as impressive sophomore appearance, a round two knockout win over Traven Giles, who is no slouch, mind you. It was very, very impressive from Duplessis. And if you think that his hands are his biggest strength, well, it's got to be said most definitely that Duplessis is equally as dangerous on the mat. He can wrap up a submission and a guillotine from anywhere, and that makes him a very, very dangerous opponent for Brad Tavares, who has shown that he has a lot of durability, a lot of gas in the tank as well, and he can get through the tough contests. He's a hard man to stop, but Duplessis, he knows how to stop an opponent. In fact, that is all he knows. And Duplessis is currently on a very great streak with wins in 12 of his past 13 fights. There is a high, high excitement around this fight. I am really pumped for this one with a top 15 spot on the line. Duplessis is someone I've had my eye on ever since he arrived inside the UFC. And I have really high hopes for him. But it has to be said, the experienced Brad Tavares is going to be the biggest test of, uh, of Duplessis' career to date. So this one, I mean, I'm getting up 
first thing in the morning, no doubt. I'll be watching from Jessica Rose Clark's fight onward. And th this is one I cannot miss. So I will absolutely be up for this. And do not forget the UFC Thoughts and Comments podcast. I will be watching every fight of UFC 276 and releasing the weekly Thoughts and Comments podcast straight after the pay-per-view. So make sure to follow us on Instagram at Not Just a Sports Report and follow us on whatever podcast platform you are listening on. You will be able to see as soon as Thoughts and Comments for UFC 276 is out. But let's now get back to the middleweight action between Tavares and Duplessis and a fight that could very well be a fight of the night candidate. A quick summary of Brad Tavares, a little bit of a profile, if you will. The 34-year-old Hawaiian trains at Extreme Couture, one of the best gyms in the world. They are seriously, seriously good, and I have no doubt that they are going to be certain to have a great game plan to deal with the threats that Drikas Duplessis offers. So Brad Tavares could not have a better gym in his corner to be working with him here, and that is something that I am considering a lot in terms of my overall prediction for this fight. Must be considered that Brad Tavares at one of the leading gyms in mixed martial arts. Tavares has the majority of his wins coming via the judges' scorecards, uh, so most of his wins coming by decision, which is a massive contrast to Duplessis, who is yet to go the distance over 18 professional fights. So Drikas Duplessis, he is yet to see the judges' scorecards, which is a massive statement, but Brad Tavares could be the man to change that, even in defeat. So this one, there are a lot of different ways it could go, and that's what makes this such an exciting fight with Brad Tavares having an overall UFC record of 14 and 6. On now to Drikas still knocks Duplessis, and the 28-year-old is from Pretoria in South Africa, representing Team Sit, and he has a UFC record of 2 and 0. Oh, so yet to taste defeat inside the promotion, and he is a fight finisher, no doubt. Looking at some of the advantages in this one. Experience definitely goes to Tavares, although Duplessis, he has fought very, very high-level opponents outside of the UFC. Has fought for KSW, one of Europe's leading promotions, if not the leading promotion. And his, his level of opponents has been very high, but ultimately, Brad Tavares has been there and done that inside the UFC. He's been fighting at the highest level, so I do give the experience advantage to Brad Tavares. In terms of the reach advantage, that goes to Duplessis, and I'd also give him the striking and the grappling advantages. I think he is really underrated when it comes to his grappling side, Duplessis, and he could be going for a submission here, although the fact that Tavares has never been submitted, that definitely weighs into my decision-making as to maybe not going that route, and we've seen the power in Duplessis' hands before, throughout his two UFC fights to date. He is a massive, massive chance of getting the knockout win here, although we do know how durable Tavares is. So I do give the striking and grappling to Duplessis, but potentially the durability to Brad Tavares. And that is why on the betting market, the odds are very even for this one. Bookies and punters finding it very hard to split the two of these men. And it's a hell of a contest. Again, to have this on, Second of the night tells you exactly how stacked this card is. So very excited for this contest at 185. 
We've got Brad Tavares who is ranked number 12. And as I said, the rankings are gonna shake up a lot after this card for very important fights. So Brad Tavares, look, if someone like Uriah Hall, who sits in the ninth ranking and is fighting on this card, if he's to lose and Tavares is to win, that could see Brad Tavares enter the top 10. So this is very, very significant for the Hawaiian fighter. And for Duplessis, if he is to beat Tavares, well, you'd have to assume he will take Brad's spot inside the top 15. Whether Tavares keeps his spot somewhere uh, or drops out altogether remains to be seen. But Duplessis, he is trying to crack the rankings. And once he does, well, he's gonna have a whole stack of very, very high level big name opponents waiting for him. So one hell of a clash. I'm, I'm sure you can tell by the sound of my voice. I am truly pumped up for this one. Duplessis seems like his top 15 material, but now it is the time for him to be put to the ultimate test. Looking at the Tavares and his record, two decision wins for Tavares in 2021. That's his best chance of a win here. If he can just slow the momentum of Duplessis and yeah, just get it done over the course of three rounds. I haven't seen a hell of a lot of knockout power from Tavares to suggest that he's gonna be able to stop Duplessis, but if he can grind it out over the 15 minutes, I think that is Tavares' best chance of winning here. Checking out his two wins from last year, the first in January 2021 over Antonio Carlos Jr., who is a submission specialist. So that is definitely something to be noted. He has been tested and gone up against high-level submission artists before and been successful. After the win over Antonio Carlos Jr., Brad Tavares returned to action about this time last year, July 2021, at UFC 264, with a decision win over Omari Akhmedov, who, he's a great wrestler and offers a lot of threats in that regard, but in my opinion, Drikas Duplessis offers a thousand more problems when it comes to being on the feet and in the grappling exchanges. He's a lot more dangerous and difficult to prefer. prefer? To prefer to prepare for than Omari Akhmedov, um, so I'm really really curious as to Brad how Brad Tavares decides to deal with this and how Extreme Couture kind of set up their game plan to try and get the win because ultimately that is the goal over Duplessis. The level of competition only slightly favors Brad Tavares, just given that he's been in the UFC for quite some time now. But the evolution of MMA is evident. We are seeing a lot of young, up-and-coming, bright stars, great prospects starting to emerge, and Dracus Duplessis is absolutely one of them. In my opinion, the finish factor in this one is high, and the X factor goes to Dracus Duplessis. He just has that something about him, that oomph, that X factor, and I really do think Dracus Duplessis can become a top 10 middleweight and potentially kick on even further from there. So hugely pumped about the prospects of Dracus Duplessis, the South African. And stylistically, this is gonna be really interesting. He's gonna be chasing the finish, so whether he goes for submission or knockout remains to be seen. And for Tavares, how's he gonna to look to get it done? Would he ever consider trying to go for the submission or is he gonna be looking for the knockout or decision? I cannot wait to see how this one plays out. 
And in my opinion, Dracus Duplicy is undeniably one to watch. So I'm taking Dracus Duplicy to win this one by knockout slash technical knockout. Now, if you hear me in these podcasts say prediction by knockout, that covers KO slash TKO. So it's one of the two. And I think Dracus Duplicy, he may go for the submission, but ultimately in a really, really tough pick to a uh, tough fight to pick. I'm going with Dracus Duplicy. I'm confident that he can get the job done. It's just how he gets it done. So potentially look at a double chance value bet of getting it done by knockout or submission. And in the same token, Tavares is definitely classy enough to push Duplicy all the way. But in the end, I am really high on the prospects of Duplicy. So I'm going to take the South African, Dracus Duplicy, to get it done by knockout over Brad Tavares in the middleweight division. So uh, he's got powerful hands. I'm going to back him in. Huge fan of Duplicy, Dracus Duplicy by knockout. Women's flyweight action as Jessica Evil Eye, the number 10 ranked women's flyweight, previously the first ranked flyweight at one point, takes on Macy, the future barber, an extremely exciting young 24 year old who has the world at her feet. Now, here's a little factoid as well. As I said, Jessica I previously ranked first in 2020. But three straight losses has since seen her drop down to 10th in the rankings. So she's going to want to maintain her top 10 ranking. And she's got someone in the top 15 really breathing down her neck in Macy Barber. So this is set to be a really good one. Macy Barber chasing her third straight win. Whilst Jessica I, she needs to go back to her roots. And that is exactly what she's done. She's gone back to Cleveland and to the strong style fight team who she previously trained with. So she's working with them for this fight. She obviously has three straight losses. Cynthia Calvillo in a main event, June 2020. That was a unanimous decision loss where Cynthia Calvillo looked really, really good. Then Joanne Wood, formerly Joanne Calderwood in January 2021. That was another unanimous decision loss. And the third of her three straight fight losing streak, Jennifer Meyer in what turned out to be a war, another unanimous decision loss in July last year. So she's going to look back to get back to her winning ways. And this one is going to be a veteran up against the exciting young prospect in Macy Barber. Barber returned from injury in style and she's starting to really show the promise that she had before she did get hurt up against Roxanne Modafferi. Last year in July, around this same time last year, Barber had a split decision win over Miranda Maverick. That got Barber back into the winner's column after a disappointing showing against Alexa Grasso. Then in April last year, Barber got her second straight win with a unanimous decision victory over Montana De La Rosa. So that got her really back in the mix when it came to the rankings. And in this one, a top 10 spot is on the line. So the biggest fight of Macy Barber's young career to date and I'm wondering, can the future secure the biggest win of her life so far? Or will Jessica I remind everyone why she was once the top contender as recently as 2020? Checking out the profiles now, Jessica Evil I ranked 10th. The 35-year-old American having a UFC record standing at 5 wins and 9 losses. One no contest in there as well. 
As far as her gym, she is working with the Strong Style Fight Team and also has an association with Extreme Couture, who, as I mentioned, they're with Brad Tavares and one of the best gyms in the world. That is not the limit to their involvement in this card as well, with names like Sean Strickland and Action Man Chris Curtis, who took place last or took action last week. That made no sense. Uh, had a fight last weekend, Action Man Chris Curtis, also under the Extreme Couture banner. So Jessica I with plenty of great resources to prepare for this fight. And her specialty is the 15-minute grind. A lot of her wins coming by way of decision, with 20 of 26 fights being decision results. So 20 of 26 uh, fights going to decision. Once again, this one seems like it's going to go that way. And yeah, her gym, extreme couture, but strong for style fight team for this one. And that was when she last saw proper success, was when she was under the strong style fight team banner. So Jessica I definitely a danger matchup and opponent for the surging Macy Barber. And for Jessica I the one no contest on her record was originally a split decision. Um, I believe that was a loss, or I can't remember whether that was a win or a loss, but it was overturned because of weed. Smoking marijuana and the overturns of that, it's fucking stupid, muddles up the rankings as well. Now, Macy the Future Barber, let's speak a little bit about the 13th ranked women's flyweight. 24 years old, American, and training at Team Alpha Male. So she's been there since 2021 under Uriah Faber, and we are seeing a massive difference in terms of the development of Macy Barber. So that move definitely seems to be paying dividends, and Team Alpha Male going to be preparing Macy Barber to get her third straight win in Vegas this weekend. Macy is a second-degree karate black belt, so she has a lot of skills on the feet, and she's also a Brazilian jiu-jitsu purple belt, so she's getting better and better. I mean, she's only 24, with a hell of a lot more time to learn and improve, so that is very scary for opponents of Macy Barber. With the future having a record of 6-2 in the UFC, that is including her Dana White Contender Series contract-earning win, uh, which doesn't really count on the official promotional record so I guess she'd be five and two but with that one six and two and Macy Barber only 24 so as I said a bit earlier the world definitely at her feet checking out some of the advantages going into this one Jessica I with the height and reach advantage whilst the striking I believe it favors Barber she's really tricky to work out and she does have that knockout power at women's flyweight. So I think against a lesser opponent, she could get the knockout here, but Jessica I is gonna be a huge test for her. I have no doubt about that. And I think Jessica I presents some real threats on the feet herself. So Macy Barber definitely has to be careful in a fight that features a veteran with three straight losses up against a prospect with two straight wins. Level of competition favors Jessica I. She's been around for a lot longer and faced the toughest tests the women's division has to offer, including Valentina Shevchenko for the belt, which she lost. And she's also taken on Juliana Pena, the current women's bantamweight champion. So definitely level of competition favors Jessica I. In terms of the weight class finish factor, uh, I think it's low. I think this one is another that's gonna go to decision, just like pretty much every fight in Jessica I's career. But if there is to be a most likely stoppage, I would say Macy Barber by TKO. 
Stylistically, the matchmakers have done a phenomenal job putting this one together. I'm expecting a very tight contest, with both women being able to exploit each other's weaknesses whilst being very, very quality when it comes to their strengths. I'm very much undecided on my pick. This one was a really difficult one, more so than the odds on the betting market suggested. So I did some extra tape study. Obviously, I watch a lot of tape for all the fights as it is, but I ended up going back and yeah, just studying that extra bit of tape. Look, Macy Barber, she does have that finish ability, but Jessica I known for going to decision. So in the end, I've gone Macy Barber by decision. I think this is going to be a lot closer than people think, but I'm really, really buoyed by Barber's chances since moving to team alpha male. So I'm going to be taking the future Macy Barber to get it done over Jessica Evil Eye by decision. Why will the evolution of MMA, these young fighters just... They, as, it, as it stands, it's always, you know, there's always someone who's going to come along and be better than you when it comes to mixed martial arts eventually. That is how time works. I think that's a case of this one here. And I think it's going to be a very tight affair, but Uriah Faber in the corner of Barber is the key for me. And that is why I cannot go away from the future, taking Macy Barber by decision. In this early prelims portion that is honestly one of the fights I'm going to be tuning in for. Like obviously the main card featuring plenty of bangers, but I am stoked with the card we have on the prelims. Up next, a massive middleweight encounter. One of the four really, really big ones on this card, including a couple of the main events. We have a clash at 185 between the 9th ranked Uriah Hall and the 13th ranked Brazilian Andre Muniz, officially on my one to watch list, a massive fan of his, huge fan of Uriah Hall's as well, but I've got an eye on some of these up and coming middleweights on this card. Obviously I went with Drakus Duplessis, massive fan of his, and I believe Andre Muniz has equally as bright, if not a brighter future. So a huge fan of Andre Muniz, he is a big reason as to why I'm keen to tune into this fight and Uriah Hall, a fighter that I have a hell of a lot of respect for. Now, Muniz, as I mentioned, he is one to watch on a massive night for 185 pounders. A top 10 spot is at stake with Hall in ninth spot and Muniz in 13th. This could definitely see a big shift. Hall looking to push off one of the young contenders and work his way back toward a title shot. And Muniz, he's looking to claim a big scalp against Uriah Hall, a UFC veteran who has had the mileage and is a name definitely worthy of putting on your resume. And given that we have the crowd, a big pay-per-view atmosphere, this is the kind of middleweight fight that is really going to get the crowd going. Uriah Hall, he was on a four-fight win streak before he lost to Sean Strickland in his last outing. Having a look at the four wins, that started at the end of 2018 with a round three knockout win over Bevan Lewis. Uriah Hall got that victory, and then he really built on that with a split decision win in September 2019 over Antonio Carlos Jr. 
That was two straight for Uriah Hall, who then in October 2020, in a main event contest against his idol, one of the greatest middleweights we have ever seen, arguably he is the greatest middleweight we have ever seen, Anderson the Spider Silver, Uriah Hall getting the round four knockout victory in the fight night main event. And there were very emotional scenes after in what was Anderson Silver's final UFC fight. Uriah Hall crying, he really didn't want to have to do that to his idol, but he did. He took that edge and he got it done with the round four knockout that gave Uriah Hall three straight wins and some real momentum in terms of pushing toward a title shot. Then in March last year, the first UFC with crowds back and Uriah Hall got it done again in very graphic fashion. UFC 261 up against Chris Weidman and the first time in UFC history, a winner won with no strikes thrown. That's right, Chris Weidman, if you haven't seen it, I don't even know if you want to see it, going for the leg kick and having his leg broken in brutal, very graphic fashion. Uh, like that was 17 seconds in. So Uriah Hall, all of a sudden he had four wins. He had a hell of a lot of momentum and that led him into July 2021's main event. This time, about a year ago, a unanimous decision loss up against Sean Strickland, who looked far and beyond better than Hall on the night. And Hall didn't get away from that loss unscathed either. A broken orbital bone and depression issues as well followed, which, unfortunate to hear, it is a very tough game and industry that Uriah Hall is in. But he's a great fighter. I'm a huge fan of Uriah Hall. He's won me some money as well. So it does suck when you hear about some of these things happening. And hopefully for Uriah Hall, that kind of stuff is behind him. Hopefully he's in a good headspace. And he is now back in the ninth ranking to make his run toward a title shot. This weekend, he is going to be going up against the Dana White Contender Series graduate in Andre Muniz with a 4-0 UFC record, unblemished up to this point. His last three wins have been round one submissions, all of them being arm bars as well. So last three all round one arm bar submissions for Andre Muniz. And he is an absolute gun with 16 wins in his last 17 fights. It is very clear why the Brazilian has top 10 aspirations. Checking out the profiles now, starting with the ninth ranked primetime Uriah Hall. The 37-year-old Jamaican-American will be representing Fortis MMA, and he is a second-degree karate black belt, as well as being a very quality kickboxer, massively dangerous when it comes to his knockout power. Uh, but one weakness, I guess, would be his grappling game, only a Brazilian jiu-jitsu blue belt, so that could definitely be exposed against somebody the caliber of Andre Muniz in the grappling department. Uriah Hall has a professional record inside the UFC, so this is his UFC record of 10 and 8. And he was a former Ultimate Fighter runner-up, losing to Kelvin Gastelum in the series finale. So we do remember he had that amazing epic knockout, one of the greatest we have ever seen on the Ultimate Fighter, spinning head kick knockout, and Uriah Hall, he'll be looking to do something as epic here to get himself right back. Beck? right back in the mix against Andre Sergipano Muniz, the 13th ranked Brazilian, 32 years old and representing Tata Fight Team. He is a third degree Brazilian Jiu Jitsu black belt, taking on BJJ blue belt. Massive, massive discrepancy there. Very significant dis uh, discrepancy. 
significant English failure from me as well. And Andre Muniz, he's a southpaw stance fighter. So all of a sudden, I think that's going to present some issues for Uriah Hall in terms of landing that knockout blow. And Muniz is undefeated under the UFC banner. For the winner, they are going to begin their title tilt, whilst the loser is going to have to go back to the drawing board. Yet again, a very, very important match at 185 pounds. Checking out the advantages, the experience definitely goes to Uriah Hall. He has seen a hell of a lot when it comes to the UFC octagon. In terms of form, definitely goes to Andre Muniz. Height and reach is a bit different. Height goes to Muniz, reach to Uriah Hall. Uh, although I think Muniz's southpaw stance will kind of negate that reach advantage for Uriah Hall. Striking, I would definitely give to Uriah, whilst the grappling is very, very clearly in favor of Andre Muniz. Muniz's last three were very, very quality showings. First of all, he had his sixth consecutive win in September 2020 with a performance of the night round one armbar submission over Bartosz Fabinski. That marked six straight victories for Muniz, who went from strength to strength, getting his seventh straight with a round one armbar submission over Ronaldo Souza at UFC 262. And Ronaldo Souza is a massively talented grappler. Like, that was a significant statement. Only one submission loss in 37 professional fights for Souza, and that was against Andre Muniz, who broke his arm. Uh, that was brutal. Like, both of these guys, one thing worth noting uh, is that the broken arm for Souza and the broken leg for Chris Weidman. These guys taking place in action in this middleweight fight, they break fucking bones. Like, they are dangerous guys to come up against. And fighting each other, well, it's going to prove for some serious violence. Muniz's most recent win was in December last year with another round one armbar submission at UFC 269 over Eric Anders. That won me some money too, so Andre Muniz, I am most definitely a fan, my brother. Now, when it comes to the level of competition that favors Hall, given that he's faced some of the toughest fights that the UFC middleweight division has to offer, uh, finish factor is going to be high in this one. Both guys chasing the finish, that's my opinion. Although a decision could be a value bet. Both these guys could push each other all the way. Andre Muniz has a professional record standing at 22 and 4. And the key statistic is that Muniz holds 15 of his 22 wins via submission. So 15 of 22 wins by submission. He is a black belt up against a blue belt. There is no doubt in my mind Muniz is going to be going for yet another submission victory tomorrow when this takes place. All four of Muniz's losses, though, knockout losses. So all four losses by way of knockout. Uriah Hall, that is his specialty. That's what makes this a fantastic stylistic matchup, with Muniz's wins including four knockouts, 15 submissions, and three decision victories. On to Uriah Hall now. He has a record standing at 17 and 10, and his key stat is that he has never been submitted. So no submission losses for Uriah Hall up across 27 pro fights. Could Muniz be his biggest test yet? I, I genuinely believe yes. And Uriah Hall, yeah, he's been tested before. Th this could definitely be his biggest test yet, but that is a key statistic and what makes this a great stylistic matchup. Muniz with 15 of 22 wins by submission. Uriah Hall, no submission losses across 26 professional fights. 
the losses that Hall has had, four knockouts and six decisions. As far as Uriah Hall's victories over his career, 13 of 17 wins by knockout, Muniz having all four of his losses by knockout as well. So Muniz, his advantage is the submission game, but has to be taken into account. Uriah Hall is yet to be submitted in his career, whereas Muniz, his weakness seems to be his chin, is kind of vulnerable to being knocked out. And Hall, he is in a better position to exploit his opponent's weakness. 13 of 17 wins by knockout, and overall 13 knockout wins, one submission and three decisions. So very much knockout up against submission stylistically here. It's gonna be awesome, very exciting to see who can impose themselves on this contest more so. And it, it's gonna be one of the fights of the night and that's even if it finishes early. I am feeling a special, special contest here. We could see a highlight finish from either man and that gets me very excited for this contest at 185. You've got Uriah Hall, who does have that bounce back factor coming off a loss, especially a main event one against Sean Strickland. He's going to be determined to come back and right some wrongs. Whereas Muniz, he is in his physical prime, could not be going better at the moment. And a win over Uriah Hall would catapult him into the division's top 10 with only high level opponents to choose from, from that point onwards. So I am so pumped about this one. In my opinion, Andre Muniz, much like Drakus Duplessis, he is on my one to watch list. Muniz is someone I've kept an eye on ever since he stepped foot inside the UFC. And for that reason, I am gonna be taking Andre Muniz over Uriah Hall in the middleweight division. And not just that, uh, I'm gonna take Uriah Hall to tap out, to submit for the first ever time. And I don't really wanna do that because I'm a huge Uriah Hall fan, but such is the regard that I hold Andre Muniz in. I think he's gonna hand Uriah Hall the first submission loss of his career. For mine, the discrepancy from Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu black belt to blue belt is just too great of a bridge to gap. So uh, I just think Andre Muniz, he's a special, special talent. If he can hand Ronaldo Souza the first submission loss of his career, then I believe he can do the same to Uriah Hall. So I am taking Andre Muniz over Uriah Hall by submission. Next on this stacked Las Vegas card, we have got welterweight action between Ian the Future Gary, uh, has the same nickname as Macy Barber, there's a note for you. Ian the Future Gary, the undefeated Irishman, up against gifted Gabe Green, who is criminally underrated. I cannot wait for this fight, with Gabe Green out to steal all the thunder, and he's derailed hype trains before, so Gabe Green, make no mistake about it, he is very confident that he is gonna be the man to hand Ian Gary his first career loss. It's gonna be an absolute banger of a preliminary card contest with two stars on the rise. On one side you have Ian Gary, a Cage Warriors star, a former welterweight champion for the promotion, the 24 year old hailing from Dublin, now fighting out of Florida under the Sanford MMA banner, learning from the best and training with the likes of Michael Chandler and Gilbert Durinho Burns. Ian Gary is going to be chasing career win number 10 here, and he has yet to taste defeat. So you know that his confidence is at an absolute premium. And his UFC debut was back at UFC 268, gaining a round one knockout over Jordan Williams. 
the hype train really started to get rolling. And then in his sophomore UFC appearance in April this year, he got the unanimous decision win over Darian Weeks, who is a very hard opponent to finish. So Ian Gary showing a bit of maturity and showing his skill set over the course of the full 15 minutes. So a bit of a different showing to his UFC debut, but nonetheless, once again, a very impressive performance and another victory. So Ian Gary doing very well with the UFC record standing at two wins, no losses. Up against Gabe Green, who got his UFC start on short notice with a debut against a rival who he knew from his time before the UFC, Daniel Rodriguez, a massive knockout artist currently sitting on the injury shelf. That was a decision loss, but Gabe Green was very admirable in defeat. I was very impressed with what I saw from him on that occasion, and I only got more impressed when he followed that up in February 2021 with his first win inside the UFC, a decision win over Phil Rowe, who he himself was starting to garner a bit of heat and a lot of hype around his name. So Gabe Green shutting down that hype train with a decision win over Phil Rowe. And then in April this year, his most impressive outing yet, a round two knockout over Johan Lanes, who he himself is a knockout artist. This guy is an absolute beast. I actually had Johan Lanes to get the win, such is how highly I thought of him. And Gabe Green totally shut him down, just destroyed him and got the knockout win. So that was hugely impressive. And no doubt in my mind, Gifted Gabe Green is the biggest test of Ian Gary's career yet. And it's the biggest spotlight of Gabe Green's career. So how is he going to handle it? I think he's going to handle it well. Very much pumped about the chances of the underdog in this contest in Gabe Green. The Gifted One is 29 years old from California and he represents Subfighter MMA with a UFC record standing at 2-1. and one. Gabe is a boxer as well as being a Brazilian jiu-jitsu purple belt and this guy is very dangerous on the feet. He, gives, he kind of has the tendency to trouble his opponents on the feet, then his opponents try to take him down, they try another approach and Gabe Green submits them. So this guy is truly dangerous wherever the fight goes and he presents challenges for Ian Gary in every single aspect. On to Ian Gary now, and the future is from Dublin, Ireland, as I mentioned, with the 24-year-old training at Sanford MMA. He's still developing and adding new strings to his bow, but with a UFC record of 2-0, Ian Gary is looking to build on that. He has the hype, he has the name value, and now he's looking to work his way eventually to that top 15. Checking out the advantages, experience lies with Gabe Green, as does level of competition. Whilst height and reach belongs to Ian Gary, I think Ian Gary also has the better of the striking, although Gabe Green very vicious in that department and also very durable. He's come up against some of the best strikers the UFC have had to offer him and he's done very well, very, very well. I think the grappling also belongs to Gabe Green. so. Look, I, I'm really pumped about Gabe Green's chances here. He has a professional record of 11-3 with two knockout losses and one decision loss. With stoppages though, this is the key stat. Gabe Green has stoppages in 10 of 11 wins, four knockouts, six submissions, along with one decision. So Gabe Green is so, so dangerous. Ian Gary is gonna have to be very, very careful up against this highly skilled opponent from California. Speaking of Ian Gary, he is 9-0 with 5 of 9 wins coming by way of knockout. 
He has five knockout wins, one submission, and three decisions. So Ian Gary looking for his 10th career win in Vegas this weekend. And in terms of the finish factor, both guys are going to bring it and be looking for that stoppage. But ultimately, I'm expecting the full 15 minutes. I think these guys are going to be very evenly matched. Stylistically, I'm excited to see how it plays out. Gabe Green definitely has a game plan, and I think there is every chance that he troubles Ian Gary. But Ian Gary and Sanford, they're going to have a game plan of their own as to how they can handle Gabe Green. And I don't think he can finish the guy. I think they're going to have to look at how they can get the advantages over the full 15 minutes. It's going to be a hell of a tough fight, and it was very hard for me to pick. I've actually changed my pick. So I'm going with Ian Gary, Ian the future Gary in the middleweight division. And I changed my pick. I was going to go Gabe Green. I actually feel really, really confident in his chances. But after watching tape and going back and forth, ultimately, I've got to make an official prediction. So I'm going to take Ian the future Gary over Gabe Green by decision. I think this is going to be a very close one. Could even be split decision. And I will not be surprised in the slightest if Gabe Green derails the hype train that is Ian the future Gary but ultimately, he's undefeated. I'm struggling to see exactly the path forward for Gabe Green to get a defeat or get a win here, rather, via stoppage. So I'm going with Ian the future Gary in what has been my hardest prediction yet, but taking Ian Gary over Gabe Green by decision. Up next, we're going to be treated to a historic clash at welterweight as Jim Miller takes on Donald Cowboy Cerrone. The winner of this contest will earn the most wins in UFC history. So as I said, very much historic. How good is it seeing both men tied on 23 wins inside the UFC facing each other for the right to call themselves the man with the most wins in UFC history? It is a huge achievement. And Donald Cowboy Cerrone steps up on short notice here to replace Bobby Green up against Jim Miller. Donald Cerrone, no stranger to having a fight kind of change or cancellation with Joe Laws on and that fight being cancelled twice. Donald Cowboy Cerrone though, he's in fighting shape. He's taken this fight up against Jim Miller and Cowboy is winless in his past six fights. So very much a crucial juncture for Cowboy in his career. And these two have faced before, with Donald Cerrone handing Jim Miller one of the few knockout losses of his career. May have been even, I think there's only one or two in Jim Miller's record, and Cowboy handed one of those to him with a vicious head kick knockout last time out in 2014. So a lot of time has passed in between now and then, but I'm excited for this one. Cerrone with a 1-0 lead over Jim Miller. Now they run it back. And it's two straight finishes for Jim Miller, who arguably is in as impressive form as he ever has been, getting two straight knockouts up against newcomers. Now it's going to be the opposite where he's taking on, you couldn't be taking on a more experienced opponent. So Jim Miller, a bit of a contrast there, but he is on the run of a lifetime at the moment, or on, at the moment, can't speak English. Uh, that started in October last year with a round two knockout over the debuting Eric Ghost Pepper Gonzalez. That was brutal. Like, that was a very, very hefty knockout win for Jim Miller, who 
displayed some real power in his hands, adding a couple of extra elements to his game, even at the latter stage of his career, and he followed up that knockout win over Gonzalez with an equally as an impressive round two knockout in February this year. Uh, to the best of my knowledge, it was February this year against Nicholas Motta. Now, I took Motta in that one, and I was I was really impressed with Jim Miller, put it that way. So, look, now Jim Miller finds himself in a three-way tie for the most wins in UFC history at 22 with Jim Miller, Donald Cowboy Cerrone, and Andre Arlovsky, who's not done yet either. Combined, Jim Miller and Cowboy have 76 UFC fights between them. So experience galore, and this is a fight for the history books. Checking out Jim Miller's profile, nicknamed A10, and the 38-year-old is from New Jersey. His gym is the Miller Brothers MMA. Alongside with his brother, he runs that gym. So yeah, I mean, is he training himself? I'm not exactly sure, but Jim Miller... He's killing it at the moment. So Miller Brothers MMA doing something right. And Miller is a wrestler. He gets, practices BJJ as well. And he is a Muay Thai practitioner. So Jim Miller with a very ranged skill set. And he's also very durable. So he's a hard man to finish with a UFC record standing at 23 wins, 15 losses, and one no contest. His short notice opponent in this occasion is Donald Cowboy Cerrone, the 39-year-old from Denver, Colorado, and representing the BMF Ranch. Cowboy Cerrone is a Brazilian jiu-jitsu black belt and is also a very dangerous kickboxer. So look, he's past his prime, there's no doubt about that, but Donald Cowboy Cerrone still knows how to get the job done and I am very wary of a bounce back performance from Cowboy here. With Cowboy's record in the UFC standing at 23 wins, 13 losses, and one no contest. On to the advantages now. Cowboy has a significant height and reach advantage. I think he's definitely better suited to the welterweight division than Jim Miller is, who naturally is a lightweight. But Miller is extremely durable. I think that is definitely his advantage in this fight. He's shown a lot more durability as of late than Cowboy Cerrone, who's been quite the opposite. I'll go through Cowboy's six-fight winless run to kind of detail how his durability is kind of not what it used to be. That started with a TKO loss to Tony Ferguson, then a TKO loss against Justin Gaethje, then a very quick TKO loss up against Conor McGregor, and things just kept compounding. After that, it was a unanimous decision loss to Anthony Showtime Pettis, and then a no contest slash majority draw up against Nico Hybrid Price in a fight where I thought Nico did enough to win there. I thought Cowboy honestly should have lost that one. And then in his most recent outing, Cowboy Cerrone, another TKO loss at the hands of Alex Morono. So the worst run of his storied career, still no doubt one of the legends and greats of the sport, but if we're looking at recent form, then Cowboy Cerrone, yeah, not, not, not very impressive at all. Now, Cowboy's professional record overall stands at 36 wins, 16 losses, and two no contests. And Cerrone has 27 finishes from his 36 wins. So unlike a few of the contests on this prelims card, I think this one is going to be ended within the distance. And that is suggested by Cerrone's record. 27 finishes from his 36 wins. Overall, 10 knockout victories, 17 submissions, and 9 decisions. As for Cerrone's losses, 
eight knockouts, one submission, and seven decisions. But yeah, four of his last six losses have been by knockout. So all of a sudden, that seems a lot more likely than it would have a few years ago. And Cerrone, both men's careers winding down, but Jim Miller still definitely showing a great version of himself every time he steps into the octagon. Whereas Cowboy Cerrone, with the greatest respect, is definitely slowing down. I mentioned his losses, eight knockouts, seven decisions, and one submission, with the only man in history being able to submit him being under the WEC banner. That was Benson Henderson in April 2010. So over a decade ago, Cerrone is a Brazilian jiu-jitsu black belt. And whilst Jim Miller is very skilled at getting the submission victory, I think it's going to be a very tough ask against an opponent like Cowboy Cerrone. Looking at Jim Miller's professional record, that stands at 34 wins, 16 losses, and one no contest. So very, very similar records for both men. 11 of 16 losses for Jim Miller by decision. So that is the best way to beat him. As I mentioned, extremely durable, but 11 of 16 losses by decision. And Cowboys definitely a chance if this one goes the full 15 to get his hand raised at the end. Overall losses for Jim Miller, two knockouts, including Cowboy Cerrone being one of those, three submissions, and the 11 decision losses. As far as Miller's wins, six knockouts, including two knockouts in his most recent fights, and 18 submissions, 10 decisions. So ultimately, he likes to go for the submission victories, but Cowboy Cerrone only being submitted once across his decorated career, Jim Miller, though, starting to gain some form when it comes to the knockouts. Two knockouts in his last two appearances. In my opinion, the finish factor for this legendary contest is high. Uh, I think both men, it's going to be hard for them to get through the full 15. I think we're going to see both guys land some serious damage. And stylistically, they are both chasing a piece of history. That, in my opinion, means that both of them are going to be looking to secure a finish to truly stamp that historic moment down with as much emphasis as possible. So with Jim Miller in fine form lately, I, I think he has the edge. He wants to be on the UFC 300 card, and that would make him the only person in history to have been on UFC 100, UFC 200, as Brock Lesnar has been as well, and UFC 300. So Jim Miller, the history doesn't stop with this fight this weekend. And given that, given that Jim Miller is still fighting for something and working towards something, I've got to go with A10 here. So I think when they run this one back, I'm going to go with Jim Miller evening the ledger at one apiece. I'm taking A10 Jim Miller over Donald Cowboy Cerrone. And why? Well, that's recent form. As I said, Jim Miller still with something to fight for. As for how, I've tossed up a lot of different ways that he could get it done here, but after the last two performances, fuck it. I, I think he's starting to show some real strength in his hands. In this latter part of his career, he's evolving, he's still changing his game up, and now I think Jim Miller, he's, he's really possessing some serious power in those hands. So I'm going to take Jim Miller by knockout slash technical knockout over Cowboy Cerrone, Will not be surprised if Donald does get the victory in this one, but ultimately Jim Miller starting to really impress me once again after, yeah, being around for a hell of a long time. So I'm going to take Jim Miller to get it done, earn himself the most wins in UFC history to overtake Cerrone and Andre Arlovsky. And this should be one hell of a fun contest. So 
Jim Miller taking him over Donald Cerrone by knockout. Nearly said decision. No, that wasn't it. Official prediction, just in case you're confused. Jim Miller by knockout. Let's now move on to our featured prelim. Let's get into this contest at 155 pounds, lightweight division. This deserves the featured prelim spotlight. We've got a very important fight at 155 as the 14th ranked Kiwi Brad Riddell takes on the very dangerous prospect in Jalen the Tarantula Turner. Turner has a 100% finish rate and he is highly dangerous as I mentioned. He doesn't leave it to the judges so Brad Riddell could not have asked for a tougher prospect to take on here. And I've had some conflicting information. Some sources telling me Brad Riddle out of the top 15 but according to the official UFC website he sits at number 14 so that's what I'm going to roll with and the winner gets that spot in the top 15 here. So Jalen Turner chasing the biggest win of his career, whilst Brad Riddell looking to steady the ship after his loss last time out up against Rafael Fazeev, who will be main eventing next weekend's fight night up against Rafael Dos Anjos. Battle of the Rafaels. Do be sure to check in for my UFC preview and predictions podcast. For that one, going to be a hell of a lot of fun. Let's get to the profiles now, starting with Brad Quake Riddle from Christchurch, New Zealand, and the 30-year-old will be representing City Kickboxing on the same card as the champion Israel Adesanya and the champion Alex Volkanovsky. We have another fighter from City Kickboxing with championship aspirations in Brad Riddell, and he is a kickboxer, very, very skilled kickboxer, holding wins over the likes of John Wayne Parr. So he is very much versed at getting things done on the feet. Also very skilled as a Brazilian jiu-jitsu purple belt with an overall UFC record standing at 4-1. and one. Riddell suffered the first loss of his UFC career last time out with a round three knockout loss up against his buddy, someone he considers a friend, Rafael Fazeev. So that round three knockout halting the momentum for the Kiwi and he'll be looking to get things going once again up against Jalen the Tarantula Turner, a 27 year old American representing adrenaline combat sports and he's a Brazilian Jiu Jitsu brown belt. This does not get spoken about enough just how skilled and underrated Jalen Turner is on the mat. Do not overlook that in terms of this fight. I think in a fight where both guys ultimately very dangerous on the feet, Jalen Turner could look to use an edge in terms of his skills in the Brazilian jiu-jitsu realm. He is a brown belt and that is no laughing matter. I know he's more known for his vicious striking and knockout power, but if you take your eye off the ball for one moment, Jalen Turner will cause you some serious issues on the mat and up against the cage. So I'm very high on Jalen Turner. Obviously, I am from New Zealand, so I'll be cheering on the Kiwi Brad Riddell. But Jalen Turner, he's a hard, hard opponent for Bridell. Bridell? <laughs> Nearly said Bridell. I did say Bridell. Uh, Brad Riddell. I guess that's his, it could be a nickname, Bridell. He is a wrestler, is Jalen Turner, as well as a knockout specialist. So Brad is going to have his hands full. And the Tarantula has a UFC record standing at 5-2. and two. 
Onto the advantages now, Jalen Turner has over 20 centimeters in height and 15 centimeters in reach. So he's long, he's rangy, he has a hell of a lot of power in his hands and is very good on the mat. So Jalen Turner is a problem, not just for Brad Riddell or Bridell, but everybody at 155 pounds. This is epic stylistic matchmaking and I can't wait to see this one go down. In terms of the levels of competition, I'd give it only so just to Brad Riddell, but Jalen Turner, he is beating quality names all throughout his run, including at some time with a stint under the Bellator banner. But level, I would just give to Brad Riddell. Now, looking at the 155 landscape, according to UFC.com, in the top 15, Diego Ferreira 15th, Brad Riddell 14th, Dan Hooker 13th, Conor McGregor 12th and Armin Sarukian losing in last weekend's main event in number 11. So this is a massive chance for Jalen Turner to crack the top 15. And he may not just jump Brad Riddell in 14th. He could definitely jump Dan Hooker and Conor McGregor who they haven't been active and they haven't been winning. So Jalen Turner could start really surging toward the top 10 sooner rather than later. And next this time next year, we could be looking at Jalen Turner potentially as one of the title contenders. So very excited about the Tarantula. Also very keen to see how my fellow Kiwi Brad Riddell goes in this one. But it's a very tough matchup for him. Jalen Turner proving to be a genuine problem for everyone he's come up against so far. There's no doubt in my mind why this has been put in the featured prelim position. This, this match has so much importance when it comes to the lightweight division. Obviously, a bit of inactivity within that top 15, as well as a lot of emerging stars. Mateos Gamrot, the latest one, jumping into number eight. And these two have a chance in a division that is stacked, but there is a window of opportunity. The door is ajar for someone to kick it down and announce themselves at 155. This a very important fight on a pay-per-view card to do so. Looking at recent form, Brad Riddell had seven straight wins before he faced off with Rafael Fazeev. He is now coming off a loss, the first knockout loss of his career. Then you look at Jalen Turner, four straight stoppage victories, including his most recent at UFC 272 in March, where he absolutely starched Jamie Mullarkey, a round two technical knockout, and now that extends Jalen Turner's pro record to 12 and five, with all 12 of his wins being finishes. Jalen Turner, I keep saying it, he's a problem. I wouldn't want to fight him. Not that I'd want to fight any of these guys in the UFC, but gee whiz, Jalen Turner would be giving me all kinds of nightmares. What a hard matchup for Brad Riddell. Nine of 12 wins for Jalen Turner have come by way of knockout, with seven of those being first round knockouts. Three of those seven knockouts coming in under one minute and five knockouts under two minutes in the first round. So Jalen Turner, he, he can wrap it up very quickly if you're not careful. Obviously, this is his hardest test to date, but Jalen Turner, he's shown a lot of talent in the stoppage department. Nine of 12 wins by knockout and three submission wins with rear naked chokes being his specialty. As for uh, Jalen Turner, three of five losses by knockout, which Brad Riddell as an awesome kickboxer is poised to exploit that. Three of five losses by knockout for Turner. Three knockout losses, two decisions overall. So he's yet to be submitted, 
But Brad Riddell, I don't think he's really going to be leaning on that. He will be more looking at his wrestling control, grappling, and also just his awesome kickboxing. So this is going to be a very fun matchup, definitely deserving of the spotlight. Wouldn't have complained if this one got bumped up to the main card either. It really does have that kind of feel for it. And what else have we got here? Uh, Brad Riddell's pro record, 10-2. and two. One knockout loss, one submission loss on his record. And Brad's 10 wins have been split evenly across five knockouts and five decisions. Another key stat for Brad Riddell, five knockout wins, five decisions, but all four of his UFC victories have come by way of decision. So that's definitely something worth noting. As far as the finish factor, it is high. Decision isn't out of the question, but... Jalen Turner definitely going to be looking for the finish. And I think Brad Riddell is going to want to make a statement as well. Stylistically, I expect the Kiwi Quake to be patient, pick his moments and wait for the right time to really make his moves and go for the knockout. Whilst Jalen Turner, I think he's going to at stages look to utilize his wrestling, but ultimately he has got so much oomph in those hands, vicious knockout power, and I think Jalen Turner is going to be looking to shut Brad Riddell's lights out. In my opinion, I'll be rooting for the Kiwi, no doubt. All my support this weekend for Brad Riddell and City Kickboxing, but Jalen Turner is a legitimate prospect, and for that reason... reason? For that reason, I've got to take Jalen the Tarantula Turner by knockout. Really interested stylistically to see how this one plays out. But Jalen Turner is one to watch and the Tarantula just has such powerful striking. So in this one, reluctantly, I'm going to take Jalen the Tarantula Turner over Brad Riddell by knockout. And with that being said, that's the preliminary card portion. So we've got about 12 hours till the actual pay-per-view event kicks off with the early prelims and with that being said it i better get to recording the main card preview and predictions so i'd say by the time you've listened to this it's either going to be released or it is just going to be about to release so hang tight if it's not out yet but do have a look because i'm sure by the time you finish this one it will be out i'm going to sit down right now and record the main card portion with all the marquee fights that is going to be one not to miss. I hope you've enjoyed this podcast going through the preliminary fights. As I said, it's a stacked card and it definitely deserved a spotlight. So very excited to have gone through, given my picks and previewed each fight. And now the fun part, sitting down and watching all of it. And of course, recording my reactions for UFC 276 thoughts and comments. That'll be released straight after the pay-per-view is complete. And with that being said... It is now time for me to sit down and record my main card prediction. So until that one comes out, I hope you've enjoyed this one. Not just a sports report, UFC 276 preview and predictions. And until the main card podcast, take care of yourselves.